So this morning, we're going to try to take the mystery out of morality. We're going to try to show how can I train my own thoughts? How can I train myself to look at the Word of God and understand what's a moral way of living? And it really starts off fairly simple in this discussion. Is it a matter of conscience or is it a matter of morality? Is morality a matter of conscience? Now, this is where a lot of people like to go to when we talk about the subject of morality. If we were talking about something such as alcohol or if we were talking about something along those lines, this is where people like to go. Well, that's just your opinion. It's just opinion. You see, it doesn't bother me. It's, it doesn't bother my conscience. Therefore, it's okay. You, you know, Romans 14, man, we abuse that passage so much. We abuse Romans 14 so much in the religious world because what it has more reference to is helping each other stay strong in the faith, not making excuses to commit more sins. But in this passage, or this section in particular, talking about conscience, is morality a matter of conscience? Friends, this is an essential thing to discuss. Because if morality is a matter of conscience, then anyone can make a statement about morality and it has just as much merit as God. If that's the case, if it's the case that this is just a matter of conscience and opinion, I can do whatever I want and God just has to get in line. See, we have a standard of morality. We have a standard that God has set forth. We have the Word of God that tells us everything, gives us all that we need for life and godliness. Do you think He was making that up? If He told us how to live a godly life, then should we not be able to determine what God expects us to be as moral people? You see, conscience is not an excuse for sin. And this clicker is not working at all. There we go. Conscience is not an excuse for committing sin. Our scripture reading this morning came from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 14. Yes, we are called to liberty. Christianity is a liberating religion. Many people don't like to call it that. They say, well, there's so many restrictions. How can you claim it's liberty? God is giving you freedom from the consequences of sin. God is giving you freedom from slavery to the world. But it's not an excuse to sin. You see, that's what Paul was trying to tell the Galatian church. He says, don't use your liberty as an occasion for the flesh. Don't use this newfound liberty, this newfound freedom, this newfound joy. Don't use it just to gratify the flesh. Friends, there are so many Christians around this world that do that constantly. What do you mean, Josh? Well, we say God is love. Absolutely, God is love. God loves you and me more than anything we could imagine. But just because God loves me doesn't mean He's going to be like my grandparents that slipped me a 20 when my parents aren't looking. God loves me so much so that He is willing to tell me, you are wrong. You are lost. You need to come to me because I am the only way of escape for you. Yes, God loves, but that's not an occasion for me to sin. I can't say, well, God loves me so much that I can keep doing whatever I want and it's going to be okay. See, it's not just a matter of conscience. You see so many people in the world today that say, well, it doesn't feel wrong, so if it doesn't feel wrong, then surely it's okay. Friends, there are people who can look you dead in the eye and lie to your face and never feel a thing. 
Does that make lying right? Someone can kill someone without feeling a twinge of remorse. Does that make murder acceptable? No. See, I can train my conscience one way or the other. I can train my own conscience that I feel nothing when I sin. Or I can train my conscience to feel a lot of guilt when I sin. Consciences can be trained just like hearts and minds can be trained. There was a study that was done, or a research project, talking about the 1930s Germany when Hitler came into power. And he took over this role, and most people thought, this guy's just a little nuts. What he's sounding, what he's talking about sounds nice, but overall, like, it's, it's kind of nuts. He got into power, it became popular, people stopped arguing as much. People started saying, oh, well, this is good, this is great. And slowly but surely, people that were genuinely good-hearted people got caught up in one of the most evil groups of people on the face of this earth. So much so that they did not feel any shame or guilt for what they did. Why? We're saving our country. We're saving our nation. This is just part of it. It's a nasty, necessary evil. You don't believe me? There are pictures of people vacationing outside of concentration camps. Friends, the world has no limit to how evil it can be. The world has no limit to what they will excuse if a conscience is seared. Remember Pharaoh. God is sending the plagues upon Egypt. God is trying to liberate His people from slavery to this empire. And He is showing His might to Pharaoh. And what does it say Pharaoh did? He hardened his He hardened his heart. Now what does that mean? It means that he put himself in a position he was not going to hear. He was not going to listen to what God had to say. It didn't matter how much power God showed. It didn't matter if he brought the walls of his palace down around him. Pharaoh was not changing his mind. Friends, conscience is not our only guide. Only a trained conscience has value. Only a trained conscience has value. Conscience is not our guiding position here because evil communications will corrupt good morals if allowed to stay. 1 Corinthians 15.33, evil communications corrupt good morals. We hear that hundreds of times. You probably heard that at a Bible camp somewhere. We've heard this statement over and over again, but do we really grasp what it's saying? We imitate who we spend our time with. We imitate the people that we idolize. I've used this illustration before, and I've heard other preachers use this illustration, but it really does paint the picture. You can be from up in Minnesota if you want to, but you live in the South long enough, and you will say y'all. You will say y'all. It'll happen eventually. Why? You hear it constantly. Your accent begins to change. Your lifestyle begins to change a little bit. You start mimicking the people that are around you. We're human. It's what we do. 
We imitate those that are around us. We're a very social creature. But God was not making a mistake when he wrote that down in 1 Corinthians because he understands just as we can imitate God and we can imitate goodness, we can imitate evil. We can follow after a path that is absolutely horrendous. It's not just a matter of conscience. There has to be a standard because if there's no standard, whatever we say goes, right? It's the old statement we've heard before that if God did not exist, then all things were permissible. See, if morality doesn't exist, it's up to interpretation. If a standard of morality doesn't exist, it's up for interpretation. And friends, we don't want that. It might sound good on paper, but you can look around at our world today of people deciding their own morals, and we see how bad it can get. There is a standard of morality. God does not authorize us to get close to sin. To see how close I can get. Just Because I want to try to imitate the world. I don't want to be separate from the world. Romans 6, 1 says, what? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God doesn't want us getting close to it just to see how much I can imitate the world without being the world. When God talked about His disciples, He told the Father He didn't want to take them out of the world, but rather He wanted to keep them in the world, protect them in the world, help them to live a faithful life surrounded by a world that hates them. If my life is based on trying to see how close I can get to wronging God, what kind of a relationship have I built for Him? The reality is you don't have one. Just imagine for a moment if you had a spouse that was constantly just trying to see how close they could get to cheating without cheating. Well, nothing happened. I just made sure that I spent all night with them. How long do you think that can last? But we expect God to be okay with it. I would never accept those terms, but we accept God to be okay with that. Friends, it's not about how close I can get to sin. It's how close can I get to God? How much closer can I get to God than where I am now? No, we're not going to be perfect people. We're not always going to make the right decisions. But if I have the mindset of I'm trying to get closer and closer to God, this study becomes a whole lot less controversial. It becomes a whole lot less difficult. Because it's not just a matter of conscience. This is a matter of faithfulness. So how do I determine morality? How do I determine morality? That's a little bit of a trick question. And I put it there on purpose. Because the reality is, we don't. We don't determine morality. However, we can know what is moral. See, I don't get the right to determine this is acceptable, this is not. That's the same trap that Adam and Eve fell into in Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent came to them and said, you will be like gods knowing good and evil, really determining what's good and evil. Deciding what's acceptable and what's not. Friends, one of the scariest statements I hear Christians make today is there's nothing wrong with X. 
What we should be saying is the Bible doesn't say there's anything wrong with eggs. There are far too many Christians claiming to be authorities. They'll go out and they'll say, oh, there's nothing wrong with this. You're perfectly fine. Go do what you want here. Friends, we have allowed in our society, in our world, we have allowed ourselves to become gods more than God has ever been in that role. On any side of this issue. Yes, it is absolutely wrong for us to bind where the Bible does not bind. To make laws that God did not create. That is wrong. Absolutely. It is also wrong to loose laws from the Word of God that God did not loose. Because I don't have that right. I have no right to that. So how do I determine this? How do I find out what God wants me to do? If it's so serious, Josh, if, if this is a matter of life and death, how do I find this out? How do I know what is a moral thing to do? How do I know what I need to follow? It really is a simple process. First of all, is it explicitly stated? The issue that we're talking about, whatever moral issue it is, is it explicitly stated to be wrong? I put Colossians chapter 3 up there. Colossians chapter 3 verse 9. This has reference to lying. Paul writing to the church in Colossae tells them to not lie. Simple statement. That's it. Simple statement. Do not lie. Makes that a pretty easy discussion, right? It's explicitly stated not to do this. Not to be involved in this. Now there's other passages we can use to go and we can have a long drawn out discussion about all the passages that talk about not lying, not being involved in deceit and things of that nature. But that sums it up. Explicitly stated, do not lie. So now we know from that passage, we know from the Word of God, it is wrong to lie. It is unacceptable. Sounds simple, right? Makes everything easy. So what else? How, do, how else do I determine this? Is it explicitly stated? Are the characteristics of this thing condemned? Now this is where things start getting a little complicated. Are the characteristics of this thing condemned? If we were looking at trying to decipher, well, let's say, let's go with alcohol or something along those lines, something that impedes our own faculties. What does God tell us we are supposed to be? When God wrote the word of, when he wrote it all down for us and described Christians and who they are supposed to be, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 describes us that we need to be sober. Now, someone might look at that and say, ah, Josh, you see, you're taking that out of context here. You're, you're saying that it's, it's sober. That's not talking about being sober from alcohol purposes or something like that. No, that's just talking about being in your right mind. Okay, your point? How can I be in my right mind if I have something that's taking away my right mind? I'm to be sober. I'm to be in control of myself because I'm making decisions that dictate the end of my life, that dictate my future, that dictate the future of those around me. I'm not to be flippant with how I live this life. I'm to be very pointed, very direct with what I'm trying to do here. We only get one life. We only get one chance to get this right. 
And as Christians, we're not to be those who throw that away. We're not to throw away our faculties, to throw away our decision-making processes because every decision we make is essential. Every choice we choose to follow is going to have consequences. God expects us to be sober-minded people. So the characteristics of the things that I do, are they condemned? Are they godly? Do they bring glory and honor to God? Remember in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Christians are to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Friends, if I'm sacrificing myself to God, what does that mean? If I'm choosing, I'm going to follow Him entirely. Every choice, every decision, every characteristic that I have should be glorifying Him should be bringing glory and honor to His name. One preacher said this, and I've heard it a long time. I've heard a couple other preachers bring it up as well, but it really does bear repeating. The six most dangerous words in the English language, I don't see anything wrong with. I don't see anything wrong with. Why is that statement so dangerous? Because of how it starts. I don't see. I don't believe. I don't accept. Friends, when has Christianity ever been about I? When has being a Christian ever had anything to do with how I feel about things? This is about self-sacrifice. This is about service. This is about serving our God, following after Him who gave all for us. It never had to do with how I feel about it are the characteristics of what I'm doing, the life that I live. Can someone look at my life and say, yes, that is the life of a Christian? Now, friends, this can be a widespread thing. Because I can be the person that knows my book. I can be the person who knows the Word of God, and I can say, okay, here's where this issue is wrong. This is where this doctrine is false. This passage here. I can do all of that. But is my life right as well. See, Christianity is a balancing act. It is not just we have to always be perfect in of ourselves because that's not something that can happen. We need the mercy and the grace of God, absolutely. See, Christianity is twofold. It is both the doctrine, but it's also the attitude. It's also the mindset. Worship in spirit and in truth, proper attitude and proper practice. That's the Christian in a nutshell. So does my life show others God? Does it imitate Christ? Does it let them see who I am and who our God is? This one right here, this one's fun when you talk to people about it. Is it culturally moral? Cultures have a very wide range of morality if you go study history. It gets very complicated very quickly. Why bring this up? Why even have this in the discussion? You say, Josh, well, we were, we were talking about how man doesn't determine morality, God does. So why is this even here? Because how we live our lives as Christians can affect the preaching of the Word of God. I bring up 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because there was an issue going on in the first century church there in Corinth of women having their heads uncovered. A cultural thing. Under that day and age, if your head was uncovered, you were considered to be a loose woman. 
a woman of ill repute. Now, if you are trying to be Christians, you're trying to show the world the love of God and show that, hey, you need to be called out of this world of wickedness, and everyone looks in your assembly and they say, well, you just, you have a bunch of people of ill repute in there. What's wrong with you? See what we're talking about here? If I go to another country and I'm trying to preach the word of God and they believe that if I am wearing black shoes that that is immoral, should I go preach in black shoes? No. No. I live a life that's above reproach. I live a life where I'm not borrowing trouble. So morality, yes, it has to do with biblical understanding of morality, but also as Christians, we're not to put anything as a hindrance from the Word of God. Anything hindering the preaching of the Word of God. So I have to be very wise with how I choose to live. Remember, it goes back to that sober mindset we were talking about before. I have to be very wise with how I choose to live my life. But finally... Is it explicitly stated? Are the characteristics of those things condemned? Is it culturally moral? But ultimately, if you get nothing else out of this sermon, get this point. I am not God. Put your name there. Put your own position there. We are not God. Morality is not determined by my own feelings. I might think this might be a better way to live. Awesome. Great. If the Bible does not expressly state it, if the Bible does not condemn the characteristics of that thing, if the Bible does not say anything about it, I have no right to enforce it. It's that simple. However, if the Bible does explicitly state it, if the Bible does condemn those characteristics, if the Bible does show how this is wrong, I am obligated to enforce it. Obligated to enforce that in my life to live a moral life for God. To live a life that is committed to Him. We can see throughout this study how difficult this subject can be. People have very strong opinions about what they believe. And sometimes it can be very difficult to be told something that you don't want to hear. But at the end of the day, if we are wanting to live a life for Christ, wanting to live a a godly, moral life, then He's the only one that should get a say. He's the only one whose position should be heard. Because it's not about how I feel about things. It's not about my interpretation of the Word of God. It's about Him. Maybe this morning... Maybe this is something you've struggled with. Maybe this is something that you struggle with talking people about because it is such an emotionally charged subject. God wants us to know the truth, first and foremost. He wants us to be faithful to Him. He wants us to be a part of His kingdom. But there's a path that has to be followed. If I'm the type of person who wants to reject and wants to live life however I want to, I cannot be in fellowship with God. It just can't happen. And maybe that was you this morning. Maybe you are one who has struggled with that and you said, I didn't want to follow what God had to say, but I know what I should be doing. 
I know who I should be, but I'm not living that way. Maybe this morning you are one who has been on the opposite side of that and you've been trying to make sure that you've enforced on others what is not your right to do. God is willing to forgive any. Any who are willing to make that right this very morning. To stand with Him above all else. But the choice comes down to you. Who do you want to be? Do I want to follow after the Lord? Do I want to be a moral person in His kingdom? He made that path available for you and for me. You must hear the word, Romans 10, 17. Believe it to be true, John 8, 24. Upon believing that to be true, we're willing to repent of all of our past sins, Acts 17, 30. And based upon that change of mind, which brings a change of life, that change of following after a moral lifestyle now, I'm willing to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's exactly who He said He was. And based upon that confession, we can baptize you into Christ this very morning, bearing that old man of sin, raised to walk in newness of life, not having the shame, the guilt, the fear, anything along those lines, and now having a new life in Him. But maybe this morning you are a member of the Lord's church. You've already done all of those things, but maybe morality slipped. Maybe I decided I wanted to live my own life without Him. There's no need to walk out these doors unsure. No need to be afraid of what tomorrow holds. If you have any need this morning, don't hesitate. Come now as together we stand and as we sing.